minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three. We have so much to give. It's about just about the NFL, a.k.a. the quarterback league. All things QB right now. What are we, five weeks or so away from regular season kickoff? Deshaun Watson, we're still waiting to hear about that suspension, what it's going to be, if there's one at all. Is it going to be a full season? We'll see there. I'm going to make a prediction here and now. By the end of this episode, Sue Robinson will finally hand down what this suspension is going to be. So we have 45 minutes or an hour to see that happen. Kyler Murray press conference, that melodrama continues. Tom Brady recruits Kyler Rudolph, Kyle Rudolph and Julio Jones. But then Ryan Jensen goes down on Thursday morning with a knee injury. We'll see what the story is there. Roethlisberger retired six months ago. He's still in the news for kind of sort of bad-mouthing his former teammates. Bake throws a pick in, in Carolina practice. The world goes nuts over that. Let's get into that in some baseball with our main man, all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. It's Kevin Hench. What's the poop, fella? And hello to Eddie Spaghetti behind the glass as well. Well, good good to see you, fellas. I uh, I mean, I was traveling, as you know, and then I think it was last week, you know, we were talking about the, the poor angel's predicament, and then I think we sent Spaghetti scrambling to see if Trout got an at-bat in the All-Star game. Like, did he play? And then it was like, well, there, we saw him there. He was he was located there. And then I, I just see the headline, my career is not over. I'm like, what? I, this is like going to the doctor uh, for for new allergy medicine, and they say we think we can save your leg. Why? 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 why wait a minute. Was this <laughs> did, was this on the table? I mean, did I was I when I was in England, were people talking about the greatest player of his generation may never be the same? Is this is I, I'm I'm just I saw that headline and I was like, I mean, my heart already breaks for Angel fans, but this is a level of cruelty. He turns 31 in a week. Like, I can't, I, it's, this is. Is that all he is? He's only yeah. 30? About he's to be 30, 31. He's 30. He'll be 31 on August 7th. He's got three MVPs, uh, you know, uh, inarguably the greatest player of his generation. And he's giving, he's saying, don't worry, my career's not over. And I think it was on this podcast, I'm pretty sure, uh, that I made the comparison between Trout and Saquon and I, there is a, there is an amount of power the human body can process that can can go through your body. And uh, you know, Corolla made that that twenty four hour of Le Mans documentary, incredible documentary about Ferrari and Ford trying to engineer a car that could go incredibly fast for twenty four straight hours. I feel like Saquon and and, and the, the winner would be the car that didn't break. And I feel like Saquon and Trout, you can't go 162 games with that much power and you can't go 17 football games with that much power. Your your car will break. And so the car is breaking and my heart is breaking for for Angel fans and and Jermaine to the Juan Soto conversation, right? If you're if you're about to give someone half a billion dollars, do you take a breath and realize what this has done to the Angels franchise? Well, it's fascinating and picking up where we left off one week ago. You're exactly right, Hench. And by the way, another guy who that Saquon's a good 
current guy, but also Julio Jones, who, who I mentioned, now a Buccaneer, and, and, and very similar as we compare sports and different teams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are sort of like the Pittsburgh Penguins now. High-end talent, but old. I mean, like, they are they are all in on right now, five minutes from now, clearly doesn't matter. Um, but Julio is sort of the personification of that. It feels, Julio is one of those guys who it feels like he's, you know, he, he's he's so jacked. He's such a specimen to look at, and yet ironically or otherwise, he's the guy who misses a ton of games. But well, yes, with Mike Trout, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say on the Julio Jones thing, and it is, you know, these physical comps where you're like and Aaron Jones is an Aaron uh, Judge is another one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he's how a, he's do, another you know, guy who gets hurt. No matter how jacked you are, at some point, your ligaments and your tendons and your spine, like there's a part of you that's not that jacked that has to absorb all that power. The crazy thing about Julio Jones, I know we're popping all over the map here with these these freaks, these physical freaks. But so when I saw that story, I was like. I was like, how old is Julio Jones? What are what is his, uh, you know, anyone who, who's had him in fantasy, of course, is, is seeing the regression. And I'm like, you know, is that a meaningful signing? And the thing that jumped out to me about Julio Jones, to your point about how physically dominant he would seem to be, even when he was sort of unstoppable, this guy's averaged five and a half touchdowns a year for his career. Like, I don't understand why he, of all people, was incapable of the run into the end zone and turn around touchdown. Like, who who's locking him up on the outside so that he never scores two-yard touchdown passes, ever? Like, it's so true, you know? Right, in an era that included Des Bryant, who somehow was the most dominant red zone target, just was, it, it was... He was just about unstoppable with it. He just could physically rip the ball away from a defender in 50-50 situations. Better even than Megatron. Um, Julio Jones, it's a funny thing because he'll definitely go to the Hall of Fame and the numbers are more or less there. But I do feel like when I think, when, I, when the thought that um, occurs to me when Julio's name comes up is like vague disappointment. That, that, I, I feel like, man, he should have been a little more dominant than he already was. And then that then the, the other side of that coin is people always say myself sort of kind of included like, yeah, but Matt Ryan was his QB, which leads me to promoting our earlier podcast this week with Mike Sando from the athletic, his QB tears got a lot of heat because an, an anonymous uh, evaluator said Lamar Jackson is a one as a football player, but he'll never be a one as a QB, a QB one. And Patrick Mahomes is a one read QB. Otherwise, he defers to street ball. Some borderline offensive stuff if you take him out of context, but a great conversation there. Meantime, Eddie Spaghetti is thumbs down on the Indianapolis Colts because of Matt Ryan this year. I am the opposite. I am bullish on the Colts. Um, as we continue to jump all over the place, do you want to do... Because we started baseball. Do you want to do baseball now? And then we'll move on to the QB league because yeah. juicy well, stuff with Kyler just, Murray. Let's, just, let's let's do a couple minutes. Again, you know, just this, this is why we have our long pre-production meeting. So we can be this organized when we hit the mm -hmm. ground running. Um, well, let's, so I do want to get, uh, well, I know obviously who QB won in the scumbag right ratings are. That's, that's, 
your boy seven, Ben Roethlisberger, still making friends in retirement in Pittsburgh. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but let's talk about Trout in the context of, you know, the Gale Sayers, all-time greats who, who you're like, he may never be the same. You know, and then, of course, with the Angels, it seems like an annual rite of passage where you go, why wouldn't we shut him down? We're terrible again. <laughs> you know, why, why, why would we ever risk him playing after the All-Star break? Because we're always eliminated. And then does somebody else take a chance on, on – I mean, when you read, uh, you know, he's got a, a peculiar, rare spinal issue. What's that now? Spine? Listen, that's no jive, and you say Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers, Hall of Famer and all of that, but he's much more of a, like, man, if you if he could have had three or four more years, Terrell Davis, in more modern terms, is, is that, you know, obviously I am required to offer the name Mario Lemieux. I mean, he, like, by, by the time the world at large became aware of him, he was already diminished and still the best player in the world. But by the time people really got a good, by the time they were winning Stanley Cups, his best days were already behind him individually. And he, like I say, was still in that state in the early 90s from, you know, 91 to, to, to through 93, even with cancer, and also throw in cancer and the bad back. He was the most dominant in 19, you know, we've talked about in 1989 is the greatest individual season in hockey history. Um, and, and again, he had a bad back, then he gets cancer and then is on the prohibitive favorite to win the cup. They get upset, but yes, I think where, um, yeah, that that's an interesting conversation, but also I think you raised a great thought last week and, and we were tweeting about or texting about it is is it time for a sea change in how baseball GMs approach things? Is it necessarily a great thing to win the Juan Soto sweepstakes at this point? Are big ticket free agents the path to success? I mean, I can argue yes, but I do see you have a number of examples of guys who point to it maybe not being the the right way to go. Well, it does seem like you're if you make that choice and again, I'm 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 confused on who has money and how much money and there's a hard mm -hmm. cap or a soft cap. It's like you would think once the Padres do that Machado deal, you can't do another deal and then Tatis is going to you know what I don't know what's the plan here is there just unlimited funds, but it seems like you are dooming yourself to what the Angels have been doing, which is like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to have a lot of Rule 5 draft picks in your rotation. You're going to have a lot of guys coming back from reconstructive arm surgery as your number three or four starter. Like it's so you you're going to pay at some point and it and we are getting uh, the data now. I mean, it's like. You know, Bryce Harper won the MVP last year, but it's like big fucking deal. Like, you're, you're, you know, is it helping you do the thing every team wants to do, which is which is win the World Series? Um, but, you know, it's funny because you mentioned Terrell Davis, even Lemieux in hockey. It's like the place you would think you could just play in perpetuity is jogging around the outfield in baseball. Like you're not you're not going to face a career 
life-threatening injury. And I was going back to the – I remember when Elway was faced with that choice. I think the Yankees drafted him. And, you know, obviously we knew how good a football player he was. But it was like, oh, he could play ba- he could play professional baseball. I remember thinking like, he should definitely play baseball. Just stand – like, you know, you <laughs> – you could get obliterated uh, in football. I think he obviously made the right choice. But, um, yeah, I just I, – I can't – I'm trying to think of a baseball player. You know, pitchers are different, obviously, because they can go at any second. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to dig that. I know we're forgetting some obvious ones, guys who would have been all timers had it not been for a significant injury. But then also there's a second group of guys who still are all timers despite the injuries. Yeah, I mean, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle tears up his knee on the sprinkler head in the outfield uh, and and, you know, still obviously has a Hall of Fame career. But uh, speaking of like longevity, I don't think we sing enough songs about Ted Williams to this day. I don't think obviously not injury, but wars right in the middle of his prime Two wars. I don't it's strange to me. I know he wasn't a great fielder, um, but he would be unequivocally the best baseball player of all time. And no one puts the asterisk on that. It's always it's always Babe Ruth or Willie Mays or Barry Bonds. Like who's the Ted Williams isn't even in the conversation at this point. Kinda, right? Well, I mean, you know, Ruth just has the pitching thing, which is it settles all arguments. I don't know, you know, it's like, you know, Ted Yeah, but Williams, it was all against white guys, no I sliders, guess, I whatever. Guess, I guess. But uh no, obviously if you just do the math on you know, Ted Williams average season and adding in that half a decade of lost time, uh, he's he's going to have, you know, 700 plus home runs and uh, the, the three the 344 career batting average. Um, but uh, so this I, this really struck me in terms of longevity, you know, and, and watching. I don't know why teams insist on doing this. It's weird. But like Miggy Cabrera won the 2012 and 2013 MVP awards, deservedly. Um, He now hits a home run every 100 plate appearances. So I don't know, like they still send him out there. Like he's playing every day. I think he had three home runs at the All-Star break. And it's like, he's still like, he still finds a way to fight off base hits here and there. But you're like, uh, he can't move and he's a singles hitter. Like, Somebody has to do the humane thing. This can't go on. And I, I think we've seen it with Pujols for, for a couple of years now, too. So I was like, I was going, wow, you know, it's been it's been nine years since Miggy won MVP. You know, it's probably time to put him out to pasture. You know who won American League MVP the year before Miggy won both his MVPs? Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander might uh, win MVP this yeah, year. Right. Justin Verlander is having an insane season. He leads the majors and wins. He has a 1.84 ERA. And I'm like, oh my God. Justin Verlander, the Astros, you talk about like big contracts and the risk you take. Somehow the Astros, who obviously their deal with the devil is eternal. Like they did their, their deal with the devil never comes up. The Astros extend Verlander, he has a catastrophic arm injury, and they're still going to win. They're going to win on the deal, on the Verlander deal. He misses two seasons, and it's still a good deal because that guy, it just if he makes it out to the mound, he's untouchable. And I know I, I, know I said it here last week when it was plus 450 for the Astros versus plus 300 
for the Yankees. And I was like, that Astros number looks a lot better. Now, they did just get swept by the A's. But I'm just looking at those two teams, Andrew Benintendi notwithstanding, uh, I, I still think the Astros are a better bet than the Yankees. Well, uh, so let me try to complete this circle here. One week removed. I hear you on that. By the way, maybe Hank Steinbrenner on down are doing it the right way. Maybe they're showing us the path to how you do it. Not, not that they're not massive spenders and everything, but it is interesting that it's not Juan Soto. It's Andrew Benatende. I, I, you know, I'm resentful of the Yankees or any other big market team that can just go like, well, we have Joey Gallo and he's not working out. Okay, who's available? Because it's just a matter of whether or not we dec- declare our interest in them. Not Juan Soto. Where are you, Hench? Oh, well, let me make my prediction first, because I do want to hear what you think about the Yankees, because I know you and your guy uh, Simmons and everybody else are hand-wringing about what the Fenway group's going to do, which is awfully ironic, given that they are more than willing, clearly, good deals made by the team, but still, they are resigning old uh, Geno Malkin and Chris Letang in Pittsburgh, so why are they not equally incented, if not more so, to, to keep Devers and so on? But to complete the circle, Verlander, a stud for the Astros. The Yankees have obviously some nice pitching options. They're, it feels like they're going to collide in October. Obviously, the Dodgers are mighty on the, in the National League. I think the team, though, that is best positioned to survive if they fall into a wild card situation is the Metropolitans. We talked about this on Extra Points. If you can throw, after what you just saw against the Yankees with Scherzer, if you run him out there for one game, you'd feel fairly confident in that one. So I think that they're not bulletproof. Anything can happen in one nine-inning game. But I like the Metropolitans, the juice attached to them relative as it is, plus 750 to win the World Series. I, some optimism required here with DeGrom, but Scherzer, Walker, and DeGrom, boy, that's that's some trio to throw out there. I like them to win the World Series in a slight, well, you know, even if the Braves catch him and, and, and they have to play one of those one-game playoffs, okay, I like the Mets' chances in that one. How say you? Um, well, it's, you know, you're essentially, you're, you're betting on a health outcome, right? I mean, you yeah. know, because that number would be so different if, if we knew, um, but you know, obviously that would be exciting if, if, uh, if you could send those three guys out there and that would, and plus seven fifty wouldn't be plus seven fifty anymore. Right. So, you know, grab it now and, and, and hope for the best. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we've been talking about around this issue, um, of kind of what a bummer, the algorithm is and how all baseball arguments have just been settled by wins above replacement. And like, you just kind of like, you know, so it's like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Well, it's like, I have an opinion and that opinion is either wrong or right based on the computer. And so the, the Benintendi thing, like, obviously I, I was bummed when the Red Sox dumped him for Franchi Cordero because my thing was like, look, don't get divorced during the fucking pandemic and don't dump a player during the pandemic. Everybody gets a gets a uh, an incomplete. Everybody gets to take the class again. Everybody gets to go to couples counseling. You can't fucking be eyeball to eyeball with your old lady for 16 months living, you know, sequestered and then go, I don't think this is working out. 
just hold on until you can go to a restaurant, okay? So the Sox gave up on Benintendi <laughs> at the fucking height of the pandemic. A I'm French like, restaurant. You go know, ahead. he's he's put on weight. He's trying to hit home runs. I'm like, whatever, who cares? Um, so then, so they dump him. Then he's hitting 320 for the Royals, of course. And then the Yankees are like, whoa, we could upgrade. We could get this 320 hitting all-star who's an excellent defender uh, instead of instead of our offensive line that we put out in the outfield, like this could be a real upgrade. So naturally, I'm I'm bummed out, devastated. The Yankees never give up anything in a trade. It's always a fucking poo poo platter of complete garbage. Even for Stanton, even for Stanton, I know I've rattled off all those bums that they that they that that Jeter accepted. Oh my fucking Christ! But anyway, so I was like. I'm pissed off about the Benintendi thing, pissed that the Yankees never give up anything to improve. And then, and then of course I got the text from how completely out of whack his season is based on batting average balls in play, like his spray chart. He should, you know, he should be not, he's 150th in the American league and what you would expect his batting average to be. And I'm like, Oh good. Well then he'll regress. You know, the way baseball works, here comes the regression. He'll see that little league fence in right field. He'll start flying open and hopefully he goes over August and September and it'll be Jacoby Ellsbury 2.0 for spaghetti. He'll be like, hey, we got we got this great player. It was great for the Red Sox. Hopefully he fucking sucks for the Yankees uh, and they get swept by the Astros. Well, um, what did you make of just to to round out some baseball there? David Ortiz inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he kind of makes the point that I just said five minutes ago. I feel like it, because it's uh, Mount Rushmore season for a lot of people out there. I feel like Ortiz is held up over Ted Williams in Boston at this point. But well, or- you know, as as we talk about all the time, there's only one thing that matters, right? You know, I mean, it's just like. Winning championships just changes everything. It's like, so, so yes, was, you know, Ted Williams uh, a better hitter than David Ortiz? Sure. Did Ted Williams go uh, five for 25 in the 1946 World Series when they lost to the Cardinals in seven? Yep. So, you know, David Ortiz is going 11 for 16 in the World Series and winning MVP. So, yeah, it does it skew stuff, of course, but obviously those 86 years followed by, you know, Poppy carrying the team to three of their four championships. He rightfully has a, a place atop Red Sox Rushmore. Um, but It is but, crazy because you don't, like, as opposed to, you know, everybody always is talking about, uh, you know, being motivated by what the media says or by booze or, you know, whatever other factors and whether or not they're jive. Baseball is fascinating because you can't want to do it. It's like, hey, I got to get a hit this time. This is an important situation, so I'm going to try harder to get a hit. But Ortiz had a crazy ability to do exactly that. The grand slam against the Tigers and, you know, against the the pinstripes in the biggest spots, uh, the 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 black cloud that that is the ceiling over all the Red Sox might have achieved for a hundred years, and he's swatting it out of the ballpark in Fenway and otherwise. It is, you know, that is the stuff, and it is as I've said before, and we'll say again to you now, it is the issue, as you say. Well, everything can be boiled down to uh, OPS and and WAR and everything else. 
I do worry that analytics, to some degree, get in the way of that on its face visceral sort of joy provided by like we. I mean, we you know it's the game. It's five to one, and the bases are loaded, and Poppy's done a lot for it. I mean, come on, like grand slams a little bit. Oh, he hit a grand slam to tie the game. It's crazy how consistently he came through in a sport, as many people have said before, and I and I will repeat. It's like. If you, if you do it three out of 10 times, you're you're uh, a great. And he did it in the biggest of spots. Remarkable career. And, and you know, there there's there's a five minute montage of Big Poppy clutch playoff hits that we just send to each other in low moments in Red Sox Nation. Like, obviously, this team is garbage this year. Devers on the DL. Bogey's on his way out of town just watch these five minutes, you know, like we just send it. it, it it's like uh, it's like medicine, you know, and you, he, his, he had so many clutch hits, um, you know, as spaghetti well remembers that that game seven in 2004, Johnny Damon gets thrown out at the plate in the first inning on a dubious send. And it's like, Oh, this is, of course, this is how it works. We're gonna we're gonna have made this great comeback and fall short in Game Seven. No, Poppy just hits a home run in the first inning. Everybody relax, everybody relax. I'm here now. The interesting thing about the induction ceremony juxtaposed with how shitty the Red Sox are in this moment, and you know they're not that shitty, Hank. They're in wild. They're in striking distance of a wild card. They, I get they, where they, you come they, from. The sky is falling. They were they. They had an eight and a half game lead on the Orioles that evaporated in 29 days. So anyway, they're going to finish in last place. They suck. But what what was interesting about the poppy induction ceremony uh, and the and the conversations it led to, I I just finished reading um, Mark Lonigan's memoir, Lead Singer for the Screaming Trees. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, hmm. Screaming Trees, you know, uh, be, you know, below Nirvana, b- below Pearl Jam, mid-level, below Soundgarden, below Alice in Chains. But they were there. They were there. Lonigan uh, didn't return Kurt Cobain's call on the on the big day. But anyway, so. Was that right? Mark, I didn't know that. Mark Lonigan, it's 330 pages of fucking terrible decision making. It's like, oh, my God. I'm in Berlin. I know what I should do. I should go score some heroin at the train station and then I'll shoot up and then I'll have enough heroin to get to Amsterdam. Now I'll have to use all my heroin. I don't want to go through customs in London. Like his whole life is about getting heroin, using his heroin, not having heroin when they go through customs. Like it's exhausting to read. The decision making is so fucking terrible. And you're like, I mean, he did die this past year, post-COVID, unclear what finally took him down. But I was like, the decision making is so wretched. And I'm and I'm feel like I'm like, this is what's going on with the Red Sox. This is exactly the kind of decision making <laughs> that's going on with my beloved Red Sox. Like, is, I'm like, are, is the front office just fucking strung out on heroin? The fucking uh, like, obviously, we have this bedrock once a generation left side of an infield, no movement, no, no, no discernible desire to sign either of them. I mean, that should be 15 years, you know, bogey endeavors. Like you don't have to worry about that. The well, they say rock, they're not going to trade him for what that's worth. The bedrock anyway. So um, I, I've been, I've just been. And so then, you know, given like, I guess, 
I was, you know, we're trying to think like, would Bloom in the same circumstances, would he have acquired Big Poppy? Now, Big Poppy does kind of fit the current model of like kind of a cast off, kind of a cheapie, let's roll the dice. You know, uh, the, the Red Sox, like, where like the rotation of like, eh, maybe Rich Hill has 100 innings left in him. That's free. Uh, you know, let's let's send Walk out there. Like, well, we got a got a good half season. Like, it's also cheap, and you're like, we're not the Pirates. What is going on? Like, let's let's spend some dough. Let's have some let's have some Scherzers and Verlanders go into the hill. Nope. It's who it's do you all- think is responsible for this? Because, like I say, it, it's at least uh, you know uneven with the way. The same ownership group is treating the Penguins. You would think, all right, you know, listen, nostalgia, notwithstanding, Malkin should move. Liverpool's not going to fucking send some broken down cast off into midfield. Like, yes. So so now the, the, the problem is, you know, Bloom goes, I this is the kind of business I had to run in Tampa. Like I ran I ran the Filene's basement discount. So everything was on a discount at all times. And then you hope, you know, uh, you know, Glasnow doesn't blow out his arm. You hope you get the bet. You hope you get innings from your cheap young guys. And this is how it's done. And it's like, that's amazing. Congratulations on turning the Rays into a perennial contender. Yeah, that's not how we do it up up here in uh, rich guy city. Fucking get some expensive studs. So it it, it is it is sad to be. to feel like the, you know, the 22 teams in major league baseball that don't spend. There are more slobs in pro football than in major league baseball, but does Poppy make the top 10 of the least shapely or the most slovenly looking hall of famer in any sport? Babe Ruth is the number one. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, Sonny Jurgensen had a legit pot belly when he was playing and he wound up in the hall, right? Yeah. Sonny's in the hall. You can't, you can't count offensive linemen. No, that that would be wrong. You know, but, uh, you know, Poppy was, you know, Poppy actually would, would yo-yo a little bit. He did have a physique that wasn't too bad because he was tall. I mean, he's, he's a tall guy, you know, so he could, he could spread it out. Uh, a little bit, um, but but at his at his most slovenly, I mean, look, you're gonna jog. Think of his average work day. Think of how little exercise that guy got while being a professional athlete. And you didn't hear any <laughs> stories. You know, the Celtics call timeout. Jason Tatum's on the bike. Like, like you got you got you got to keep moving. Like the the sport's so frenetic. You know, it's Poppy. You didn't hear any stories about like. They had to go back to the weight room because Poppy was up. Well, the, you know, you're right. Poppy and Babe Ruth, they just had to stand there for the most part. It is, I, I continue to be fat. How is Jerome Bettis? How did he play and be that fat? How the, the craziest of all is Darren Williams. How could you be a fat point guard? You have to run <laughs> back and forth the whole game. How can you be fat? How can you have any, like, how much are you, what are you doing in your free time to offset the the two and a half hours of sprinting back and forth you just did you well, really you know really there's got to be if if you could follow that guy around with a camera and see what he's how many calories it's required to be ingested to offset the, the, the well the, high, the high level know, workout you're getting spaghetti knows obviously 
But yes. all the literature Obviously. about the way we're shaped basically concludes what you eat, 85% of how you look. What you do, 15%. So Darren Williams just fucking running his tits off, literally tits, by the way, uh, running his tits off, uh, you know, 42 minutes a night, uh, <laughs> carrying around blubber, because the 85%, he's obviously not holding back. And there's actually this phenomenon where people who exercise gain weight. And it's like, why? Because two things happen. You burn that fuel, but psychologically, you're like, fucking bring, bring on the fries. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to balance out. Like, I'm going to overeat and I'm going to have some ice cream. As, but as a reward for working out, which would be fine and you would maintain if it was a 50-50 equation and those two things were equal. But the French fries and ice cream is 85% of how you look and the the two and a half hours of exercise is 15%. So it's really sad. I mean, that's I mean, look, it's 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 a it's it's a rough uh it's a rough visual, but we've obviously all been seeing a lot of it these last couple of years. That spaghetti's not that rough a visual. No, no, I'm going the other nice, way. But I'm going the other way. I like oh. you just you just see ripped homeless guys all the time. Like you're like you're literally like I'm not jealous of your lifestyle, but Jesus, I'm jealous of your obliques, oh, and that's and that's 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 calories that's calories in. Um, they're, they're not going to the CrossFit. Um, so anyway, I'm just saying, you know, just, just, I'm trying to think I, I I'm running through with golfers there. I've never, there's never been a fat tennis guy for what that's meant. Yeah. Right. Well, I get, you know, again, I, not to get, not to I'm get in trouble, but you know, Serena famously made the Nike commercial post motherhood. Go ahead. Doubt me. Go ahead. Doubt me. You you know, I can do anything. And it's like, hmm. uh, you haven't won any majors since you became a mom, which is fine. You you don't also have to win majors and be a mom. Being a mom more important than winning majors. But um, I think any uh, honest uh, evaluator of tennis would say her, her court coverage has suffered post-motherhood. Be interesting. I don't, you know, if... If like the WNBA is, for instance, had been more popular 40 or 50 years ago, do you suppose women would have played like in their third trimester? Probably <laughs> not, because I don't remember in League of Their Own anyone having a big bump out there. Anyway, listen, let's talk about football now. Um, and let's start with Kyler Murray. This is a crazy, this is crazy. I mean, and by the way, Eddie Spaghetti, please jump in as soon as the Deshaun Watson suspension is handed down. It's going to happen here in the next, what, 20 minutes or so, I think. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals, this is, I find it fascinating that it's because it's exactly what I talk about all the time, that you in the QB league, what you really want, obviously you need a guy who is capable of if things are imperfect around him is still able to to boost not just himself but the but the team and still win a Super Bowl. It's very difficult to get to the Super Bowl and win it. And my argument is in the age of full QB saturation that there are now like, 
you know, 20 or 25 guys who fit that description. Like, they could win the Super Bowl. I, I And if there are doubters to that, Baker Mayfield is a great example for me to hold up. He beat Pittsburgh in Heinz Field and then just about had the Chiefs built. Would you have doubted in that moment that Baker Mayfield could win the Super Bowl? In that moment in the third quarter in Arrowhead two years ago, would you? Would anybody argue with me that Baker Mayfield isn't capable of winning the Super Bowl? It runs real deep, but the real sweet spot is rookie contract for that guy because then once he consumes $50 million of the deal, and it feels to me like the Arizona Cardinals are fully aware of that. They're like, Kyler, is he the guy? I don't know, but now after we drafted Josh Rosen the year before, then kicked the coaching staff to the curb, then brought in Cliff Kingsbury, then brought in Kyler, dependent on Cliff Kingsbury's hiring is dependent on him getting Kyler Murray. And he has a couple of nice statistical seasons and it feels like the Cardinals are tracking in the right direct direction, witness the playoff appearance and all of that. I don't want to go into the, in, into the abyss and start all over again. It feels like Kime and company are saying in Arizona, but we obviously don't like this guy very much. Witness that we're going to require him to study four hours a week. What the hell? And Kyler Murray just had a press conference on Thursday to announce more or less. Yeah, it is offensive that they did this to me. How say you? Well, it's funny. I, you know, I, I love my lawyer. He's, he's just, he's awesome. He's just so, he's just, you know, super smart guy. Went to Harvard and he always figures out little things that could come up and then it does come up and it's like, oh, it's in the contract. So sorry, we put that in the contract and they were like, I don't know, is the other side even reading this stuff? So it could be funny if the if Kyler's lawyer, um, if you really read the fine print, he just has to watch four hours of films, any films. Like if they if this comes down to like the first day they want to find him because he has not been to the film room at the at the facility and he's like, uh, he watched Princess Bride and A Fish Called Wanda. It's just if you look at the film, it says he has to watch films four hours a day, four hours a week. No, it, I don't think you can. Not you even know, all the right moves or the program or something like that. Uh, you watch the Bowie documentary. It looks incredible. Um, well, apparently Field of Dreams is or Bull Durham. That's That will be the, the crossing of the line well, for the Arizona Cardinals. No baseball. You know, like, you know, obviously it's, it's as old as time. You know, can you create democracy at the barrel of a gun? You know, that's the, you know, like, can you go in to a country that doesn't know democracy, doesn't want democracy? And we're like, democracy is the greatest thing in the world. Um, ha- half of our citizens, notwithstanding, it's really good. We should we should have democracy. And then you 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 point your guns at at this this country and say have democracy. And they go no. Can you uh, at, at the barrel of a gun make a guy give a shit about films? Like I'm envisioning a sullen teenager with his arms folded and his hat pulled down while the you know like run it back, Kyler. Here's what happened here. You see, Nuke actually came uncovered, but you'd already look like he's got his hat pulled down. He's like, fuck you guys. I don't want to do homework. Uh, this is boring. I, it, it's, it would seem odd because then the flip side is 
like obviously what is made part of what has made Brady the greatest is like he's a junkie. He can't watch enough film, right? He's like he right. he's like can I have the clicker? Can I run it? I want to run it back. I want to see that again. That, that I feel like the nose guard dropped into coverage. I want to watch that. I love watching football. Like and you know, so you always hope that your your quarterback is that nerd and obviously the Cardinals know their quarterback is not that nerd. And much like my checkered academic career, I don't think you can force a guy to be a good student. Well, of course you can't. That's the point. They shamed him. Why, how would you enforce that? Is there is there a Cardinals official who's going to stand over there and monitor whether or not he actually did and kept well, his eyes on it? Like, I, I mean, Nick Cage, Aaron Rodgers does like Nick Cage in Con Air. Is, is Malcolm McDowell, is that Kyler Murray? Are we going to like... For real, that's what he should do. He should go into camp tomorrow with the toothpicks holding his eyes open to, well, to stick it to the car. I mean, it's a crazy yeah, thing that could to be do. One it, of those- it's, it's a shaming is what it is. It's the Cardinals saying, we're going to give you $230 million or whatever it, it boils down to, but we're going to shame you along the way. He should. Uh, that should be on his list of films that he watches when he's claiming <laughs> to watch films, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> but, it, you know, a little of the ultraviolence. So the funny thing is, like, in school – they, the way they measure if you've done the homework is they have quizzes and exams. He, he also has quizzes and exams. They happen uh, Sunday at 4 p.m. And they're going to know right away, uh, Kyler, now you turned in another turd. And, and of course, when you're as physically gifted as that guy, you always believe you can solve it with, with that mechanism. So it's like, it's almost, you know, fucking film study is for guys like Brady who run a five two forty. Like why, why do I have to study film? Uh, this is, well, you know, I, I just said it a couple of days ago to Mike Sandow and spaghetti. And I say it again is, um, it's, that's the virtue above all others. We get, we can swoon over the college tape of, uh, you know, whoever's rocket for a right arm, but what coaches love is the comfort provided by a guy who's like, man, that guy knows the playbook front and back. Boy, you know, he's a coach out on the field. I don't have to worry about anything. Peyton Manning at some point early in his career, too, just basically took command of the offense. It's like offensive coordinator. We don't need one of those. Yeah, you can have one nominally, but obviously I'm the offensive coordinator. And coaches love that. And then they resent anybody who isn't that. And they don't necessarily, they're not comfortable winning games on somebody's two legs. They, they that that makes them feel a little scutchy. They love the connection. They know that they can turn the locker room over to Tom Brady or to Peyton Manning. They, I think coaches dig that kind of stuff. Um I, hey, I, I just think, can't I think you stumbled on a great solution. I think you you you've come up with the perfect solution. Like so you say to Kyler Murray, you say, okay, it's your choice. Because you know uh, petulant prima donnas like having choices. They don't like being dictated to. So you go, okay, per the clockwork orange model, you can have your eyes pinned open and watch your own playoff performance against the Rams on a loop because that's <laughs> what they were trying to do to Malcolm McDowell, right? They're like, you, you know, here, here, here's what we're going to make you watch. That's going to, it's going to be uh, aversion uh, therapy you're, you're not or you can watch this other game film that might be a little less traumatic for you. This is your choice. Uh, 
You you can you can watch uh, games where you weren't the worst quarterback we've ever seen. But I do love. I mean, look, you know, the Niners have have decided they're all in on Trey Lance, and like obviously every team has to go. He's our guy. We there's nothing we can do at this moment, you know. So we're of course we're all in on this guy. Uh, but but the film. A uh, caveat really, really does make you wonder. But don't they have to? So I feel like they need. I don't know what percentage of Jimmy G's contract they're going to have to take on to move him. But I feel like they don't want Jimmy G around just so that they can ink Debo to a bigger deal. Otherwise, why wouldn't you keep Jimmy G? You know, if you if your roster is more or less set, which it would be if Debo Samuel were happy, he's at camp, but doesn't want to play with this deal, and that's another weird move. Which is, I I want to resign. It's I don't want to be in San Francisco though, because I don't like how they run me around and I get I I get hit a lot. And then that begs the question: Well, then who the hell wants you if you're not doing that anymore? We can get somebody else who's faster yeah. than you, man. We we want you specifically because of what you bring to the position, your physical. Uh, style. You, you don't want to do that? Then what are we going to pay you for? Um, I think that's interesting. But the other thing with Kyler is, too, it's a very 21st century, and I am not on the side of, like, man, guys are softer than they used to be kind of thing. And that's kind of what Roethlisberger explained on DVE with my guy uh, Randy Bauman, whose show I go on uh, in season every year. He had Roethlisberger on the show on Thursday morning and Roethlisberger kind of amended his comments and said, I was really getting it. Guys are less willing to throw it out there when they're, when they're less than a hundred percent physically. Um, and I, I, I contend that the Bob Knight, Bill Parcells whip over carrot method isn't effective. And Bob Knight used to say, it's not me who's changed. It's these kids who've changed. Maybe he's right about that, but it seems to me in 2022 that this has no chance of working, but maybe I'm just caught up in the mentality of like, you can't talk to human beings like that. And maybe that, I mean, basically they've shamed Kyler Murray into potentially succeeding, right? Am I missing something? I mean, why would the Cardinals allow this to get out? They, they, well, they wanted it to get out clearly. I, Shaq, I'm glad you reminded me to, to pivot back to big Ben. Um, oh. What, Okay, let's imagine a chart, a chart, a graph. Uh, who, what individual has been paid more money by the Pittsburgh Steelers than any other individual? Like, how much more money? Like, look at that chart. Like, because, of course, these QBs take such a fucking huge chunk of the pie, and then they're like, I don't understand why these guys aren't giving the team a home team discount. I understand like why, you know, why is this guy holding out, you know, fucking Le'Veon Bell? Uh, like, it's like the, the one guy who can't fucking say shit about the other players is the guy with the most money. The guy who took all the money. Like, so it's like, of course, he always fucking disparages the the uh, the guys who are not making the most money. And I had actually talked to Keyshawn Johnson once about this. And Keyshawn was of, of the other mind of like, there are players who know when you get your contract, what, you know, and how many contracts you're going to get. And among those guys, it's just understood. Do your thing, man. 
do your thing. Like, you know, at the time Keyshawn and I were talking about, we were actually talking about Trevor Ariza leaving the, was he leaving the Lakers to the Rockets, but it was like, you know, and everyone was like kind of bent out of shape in LA. Like he's got such a good thing going here. And Keyshawn was like, he's got to take that money. He's got it. Like, so, you know, obviously Le'Veon, it didn't work out for him, but it's like, you have these moments, you have these moments where you need to get paid. And so I felt like it was, because I always think about Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell when I hear Ben complaining about guys not being team players. And it's like, just easy for you to say, man, you, 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 you were taken care of, you know? (laughs) So it's, oh, it, I, I what you're on Levy and Bell's side with this. Listen, I I think first of all, the it's I, I feel like it's not much of a, a that that it's caused yet another soap opera unnecessarily that he said that he's talking about Levy and Bell and Antonio Brown, the two other stars. They are the killer bees, if you'll recall. And he felt let down by one guy no-showing and the other guy throwing a fit and and basically spoiling the era. He's just raw about that, period. And then Cam Hayward takes offense to it. Cam Hayward who I love, who is the face of the Steelers of this generation. He is the leader in the locker room, and he is he personifies the Steeler way and all that more than anyone else does at this point. Roethlisberger comes into the league in Ott 4, and in the first six or so years of his career, plays in three Super Bowls and wins two of them. He is surrounded by guys like Ike Taylor and Ryan Clark and James Ferrier, who are all talking all the time about team. Not to say those guys didn't have fun. People misinterpret that. Fans fans then take that to be like, they were all ball. You know, the, the 70 Steelers, they were all ball. That's all they talked about. Look, look up Terry Bradshaw in Cannonball Run and making country music albums and so on and so forth. Everybody is a human being. They go out and they have fun. Everybody, it's a human condition that you defend your generation. Look at Draymond and Bob Cousy and uh, J.J. Raddick and everybody else arguing about these things. Everybody basically takes a posture that defends their era. That's what happens. Cam Hayward has a chip on his shoulder because he arrives Right after those Super Bowls, after the three Super Bowls, Cam Hayward, he's the young guy, the first round pick. He's going to carry on this into a new generation. He wasn't a part of the winning uh, of that level of winning. Roethlisberger says something and Cam Hayward, now the face of the Steelers, must now defend the last decade. And that's what happens. Both guys are right. Both guys are wrong. It's a non-story if they play it right. It's already the the... What is it? The cat's out of the, no. The cat's not out of the barn, right? Or is it the cat's out of the barn? What gets out of the barn? Spaghetti. The horse. Whatever it is. The horse cat, gets out. The, of the horse barn. gets cats out, out of the bag. Cats, cats out of the bag, and the horse is out of the barn. Um, right. The. Uh, but that's uh, that's that's. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. This whole crazy story that's uh, coming off of this, and everybody. Roethlisberger, though. I mean, listen. I, it, it it is like a, a heavyweight prize fighter. It, the eve of training camp, he has to say like, "Arm feels pretty good. Could get out there and do it if I had to." <laughs> All right. Well, you're 40 years old. Are you gonna? Hey, you know, it's funny that you're not that, that uh, we we mentioned Poppy's uh, odd shape. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Big Ben with those seven chins. I'm guessing. Not cutting an appetizing figure in the shower. I'm guessing, like, <laughs> if you want to talk about like commitment to the team, 
How about you not be a fat piece of shit every year? Commitment to the How team. How dare you? How about you not you? fucking eat everything in sight from, you know, <laughs> March to August? Like, I, yeah. That's he, what happens in big families. He came into the league with Casey Hayward. He's like, if I'm here, with Casey Hampton. He, he looked and he was like, if I don't eat a lot as fast as I can, I'm not going to get anything to eat. So that's, that. I mean, it's as simple as that. All right. Get off Roethlisberger's back already. Um, all right. Do we have an announcement here, Eddie Spaghetti? Is Deshaun Watson been... What the hell's going on with that I already? I haven't seen anything about that at all. At some point, this gets to a place of being unfair to the Browns, right? That, I mean, what, what, they're in training camp, Sue Robinson. I think... Uh, don't you think the league anticipated the way they timed this thing out, that they would have a, a verdict would be rendered on this one by now? They're at camp now. At some point, it, it is, like I say... Um, uh, you know, it's, it it's the Browns aren't being treated fairly with, although they deserve it because they signed Deshaun Watson on purpose and gave him 230 guaranteed million dollars. So, you know, I, I don't feel bad Maybe for that. It was by accident. You don't know that it was on purpose. How <laughs> <laughs> say you on this one though, Hench? Um, well, I feel like, you know, obviously we all know how the contract was structured and I think we all know what the Browns are expecting. It's a weird thing. Like, I remember I took a class pass fail in college and, you know, I was like, I got to make sure I get a 61 because if I get a 74, I'm going to be pissed that I wasted, you know, those brain cells when I could have been drinking. So the Browns have basically said, so basically once you take a class pass fail, the only way your professor can punish you, because he just sends a grade to the registrar and if it's not an F, you get a P. So the only way your professor can punish you is to give you an F, but he doesn't know you're taking it pass fail. So I had a professor tell me I got a D and he really rubbed it in my face because I was such a lazy piece of shit. And I was like, that's cool, man. We'll see what we'll see what the registrar does with that. They're going to turn that D upside down into a P, motherfucker. I think but anyway. So but this is a great this is an that's an interesting element of the, the human condition because I took one class in my last semester, pass, fail, too. All I needed was a passing grade. And it really, the bar as low as it already was for, for Dave going to class and everything else, I never went to class. I, I never went. It was art history. And I I remember on the final, like, I needed a halfway decent grade to, to, to pass the class. It's bad. See, the, maybe the Cardinals are onto something. Like, you better do, like, they're, they're not allowing him to take it pass, fail. Um, th this time around, <laughs> they're trying to raise the bar. Hmm. Anyway, so continue, uh, continue. Well, so I feel like if the Browns have said, um, "Hey, we understand. We're we're going to structure the contract. We are prepared to for this one year suspension. That's we we've built everything around this anticipated one year suspension. Well, then the league goes." Well, wait, if you've already planned for that contingency, then the only way we can punish you is to make it more than a year. Like you've already you've already gamed the system with the contract for the for the one year suspension. So uh, maybe we're going to make it 25 games. I don't know. I don't know what you know, what what could be taking so long. It feels like the contract is already pleading guilty. Right. Like. We, we don't. That's right. 
we don't expect him to play this year. Um, so we're we're shifting the money over here. Um, so maybe the league's taking that into account. I Boy, mean, that look, is, I, it really is a great point. Obviously, the Browns know what's going on. The, the Haslam's can say whatever they want. Obviously, they knew that this is damaged goods. And, I, and you know, the other thing, too, is so no one's ever else going to come up again. That's also part of the issue that if they fight, if the Browns fight this real hard um, and they get it reduced and then some uh, and then another accuser comes out, then I don't know how much worse the stink could possibly get on the Cleveland Browns um, for this deal. But it, that's another factor that I, you know, even if it would have it's eight games, but then more information comes out at some point in the off season, then he could miss a chunk to your point. Like they're really start paying him in 2023, but that could get dinged. If there's another accuser in the meantime, if you read the texts, him going back and forth, you can feel a confidence in them. It's something I say. You also, Deshaun Watson's, when you watch him talking about it, you can tell that he doesn't think, he legitimately doesn't think he did anything wrong because this has worked so many times for him. That approach of being like, I'm the face of a franchise, I am a multimillionaire, I'm young, you know, it's worked for him. So when people say, what were you doing? He's like, I didn't, what, what are you talking about? That's always, and then when the agent or the PR person gets in and then scripts out the apology for them, it doesn't sound, it, it obviously wasn't written in that guy's voice because now he, now he's apologetic and now, and, and in this case, it wasn't terribly well handled even with that information. But you know what I mean? He, you can tell he's sort of bemused by like, wait, what, what happened now? Like what, why, why am I a bad guy? I, the Haslam's know, Andrew Barry knows and the league knows. I, it, it really is going to be interesting. Well, to see. it's weird. You know, it's like it, it, obviously the immorality of, of big billionaire businesses, but like, you know, the Browns are like, ah, look, this is how it's going to work. We're going to fucking eat it, you know, for a year. And then this will all, this will all blow over. It's like, mm, I'm not sure. Like the idea is we're going to have a great quarterback and we're going to have a great quarterback with this great roster. But like, is, is Jim Nance going to be interviewing him after, after the AFC championship game? Like, I don't know what, I don't like, it doesn't feel like it could ever be cool. Like I, I well, mean, Ray no, Lewis had Ray Lewis has been on, uh, I don't know if he still is, but you know, it was a, was a talking head on TV for a long time. Mike Vick is Ben Roethlisberger. Is, I mean, you know, I'm not saying these, any of these, uh, any of those names are equivalent. Ray Carruth isn't on TV anywhere. I don't know what he's up to with himself. I think he's still in the joint, but um, as he should be, but, and I'm not being glib about it, but, I, but, but, you know, people, I think the Browns are betting on those examples. Well, it's, true a, it's with, a very with interesting guy. question because it's not, you know, it's like, there's jurisprudence and like, okay, we have laws and you can do this and you can't do that. And it's like, you know, um, I do feel like what, what Ray Lewis was accused of, like in a weird way, <laughs> I this doesn't make any sense, but we are go like, Oh, fucking some shit went down and somebody did something. And this was the result. And obviously it was a heightened situation where this thing took place and maybe he did it and maybe his friend did it, whatever. But like, well, he's close enough that he had to take off his white suit that got right. blood all but, over it. So, so, so something so bad happened like, with his friends. I do think there's a weird psychology where you're like, okay, that's, 
that's crazy. Obviously, any any version of that story is nuts. But the Deshaun, the the expansiveness of the Deshaun paraphilia. It's like it's weird and it's awkward. It's like I feel like it oddly is harder to move on from than the Ray Lewis trial. Like I I feel like it's it's just always going to be weird. Like you're never I do think we got to a point and and I think you just kind of as much as said it where we were like, "Oh, you know, Ray Lewis is on inside the NFL." Like we did we stopped going what the fuck? You know, like we like it did we did move past it. And maybe we will with Deshaun too, but it's just such a fucking weird story with so much scope to it that well, I just think it's always going to be weird. Like you got Joe Burrow. So let's say it's like Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson going toe to toe for the next 10 years in that division. It's like, wow, this guy's a choir boy. Like he, you know, I, and, then, and then it's like, oh yeah, you know, we're, I mean, as I, as I've said, I have Brown fan friends who just like, are like, fuck it. I'm out. I'm out. It does set up for a fast, you know, your point is if you can blur your eyes and pretend these aren't actual human beings and that actual other human beings weren't impacted negatively by it, it does at least in uh, somebody who loves rivalries and stuff, that battle for Ohio all of a sudden sets up to be really fun. Burrow is, you know, progressive with his remarks and everything else. And on the other side, you have Deshaun Watson. Um, That will be a a chapter that will be interesting to follow in that ongoing uh, uh, um, Bengals and, uh, and Brown thing. Let's squeeze in a quick break here. Last thing, Hench, back to Boston. The Celtics are rumored I, I, you know, it, the name I keep seeing is Jalen Brown um, as part of a package to get Kevin Durant to the Boston Celtics, the team that played in the finals, almost won another title. Is this a move you would uh, embrace, Hench? I, I'm against it. I I feel like, you know, they added Brogdon, run it back with with the same unit and a slightly more reliable shooter, although Brogdon's three-point shooting percentage has been all over the map in his career, as it turns out. But I just, it, you know, it's weird. As we talk about player movement and, you know, being like in favor of players getting paid and players having power, but obviously it hurts the product. It is nice to watch your guys who have never played for anyone else try to win a championship. As of course, to, that's right. Of course, you're right. Uh, hey, we tried with you guys. Now we're just going to do what everybody else does and go get the, the missing piece. And then the other thing that makes me want to run it back with our guys is Tatum really, really shut Durant down in that sweep. Durant shot 39% and turned the ball over like five and a half times a game. Um, Tatum like beat him. Like, you know, Tatum was better than Durant. Durant's 33, a lot of miles on those tires. Um, so I just feel like, and by the way, Jalen Brown, who would be the guy, I mean, what what else could could you do? What could you offer? Jalen Brown, I, it's funny, I saw him doing this crazy workout in a swimming pool. I don't know if you guys saw the video. Like, he's launching himself from the bottom of the pool, like it's this crazy. super powerful thing. And I'm like, 
that's probably not going to come up in a basketball game. I'd like to see you dribbling with your left hand, just like kind of walking around the neighborhood, (laughs) dribbling a basketball. That's your limitation. Explosiveness is not a limitation. Like you're hitting your head on the rim. The limitation is when you hit your head on the rim, you've already been stripped of the basketball because you can't dribble anyway. But I saw this stat for Jalen. He shot 72% in the restricted area, which was the highest by a guard in the NBA in 10 years. Hmm. I was like, ooh, when this guy gets to the rim and still has the ball, he finishes. So he's, you know, much like him launching himself off the bottom of the swimming pool, I feel like he's on the way up. And Durant is on the way down. And I don't think you want to trade those tr- two trajectories for the um, instantaneous gratification of the heroine of, of an NBA championship. Although then it's, of course, explained to me that the deal Jalen signed guarantees that he won't extend for a max. Like it's like, you know, get what you can now. And that's always the sad part of, uh, of being a sports fan when, when the nationals go. Well, we should get something because this guy's not going to be a Washington National next year. Let me tell you this, Hench. You started out at the right place here. This it's it's not some it's not some you know minor consideration. You're the Boston Celtics. Homegrown is the way to do it. If you can add a nice piece along the way and win a title, obviously the Chiefs' arrival. Uh, it, it was significant for Larry Bird and and DJ and so on. But, you know, the core, you want to feel like it's your guys. You're not the Florida Marlins. There's a way to do it. You, you want to chase a title and buy one? All right. Then then you can be compared to, to Jimmy Leland's uh, Marlins bunch. Is that what you want to do? You're the Boston Celtics. You don't have to chase titles like that. You're already in the winner's circle. I know the Yankees. I think I, I say it all the time. New York City as the capital of the world, dictates the opinion of America more than most of America wishes to acknowledge. New York and L.A., coastal elite cities and all that kind of stuff. The Yankees made it all right with Reggie Jackson going forward, you know, through Johnny Damon. I mean, Wade Boggs, these are the guys you want to win a title with? You want to win them with dirty Red Sox? That's gross. But New York did it, and then it was the ends justified the means. And who are you to say? Mark Messier is the great legend. Wayne Gre- This is That's no way to do it. I, I'm against it. I'm sorry, Eddie Spaghetti. I'm thumbs down on that approach philosophically. Of course, you don't go get a hired gun, some mercenary, Katie, so he can add to his personal resume and say, see, look what I did for the Celtics. We were already close without you, KD. Keep Jalen Brown. Keep him with Tatum. And as our pal Coley, who just left Barstool, shout out to him, points out, just practically speaking, Tatum then has to become deferential. He's the guy. You can't do that to him at this stage in his career. Yeah, defer to the old guy. That, that also doesn't make sense. But it's more important than that, morally and philosophically and all the, and spiritually. You're the Boston Celtics, for Christ's sakes. Don't but, chase but a, I, a mercenary I, I, like that. I totally agree. I, but we also have to remember to really take joy in the, the Harden, Durant, Kyrie, like how those rats – are all trying to get off the ship, right? Like, so Harden was like, I, I got to get off this ship. I, I'm going to be the first off the ship. And then 
you know, Kyrie trying to engineer his way to LA. And it's like, um, well, nobody wants Russell Westbrook. How are you going to get to LA? Can I get to LA? And then Durant's like, well, I don't want to be with Kyrie either. Where can I go? And it's like, it's just perfect. Like, this is the bed, you guys. You know, you talk about Deshaun's text messages. How fun would those text messages be to read? <laughs> Fucking Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Oh, my God. You know, hey, I already wrote my speech for the first championship parade. We're going to be legends in New York. We're going to move the center of gravity of basketball from Madison Square Garden over to over to Brooklyn. This is going to be great. Like the fucking texts when they're like, I'll see you there. And then it's like utter, complete catastrophe. The West Coast, like Kyrie's message is like, I won't fall off the end of the flat earth before I get to L.A., right? LeBron, <laughs> I can, can you confirm? Because I'm not. ER. And then I go the other way and I say Tom Brady. Like it feels a little yuck to me if I were a Buccaneers fan, but that's kind of like that one of those newfangled franchises, Plastic City, forgive me Floridians for saying so, like Phil Jackson with Orlando way back when. It does feel like, all right, Tampa Bay can chase rings in the name of Tom Brady and otherwise. Who cares about their legacy? And LeBron going to the Heat. I think he's a trailblazer, not from Portland, but we'll look back and say that was the moment that when we eschewed the GMs and the owners and just at a player level, like, we want to be an all-star team. And that kind of informs Tom Brady's behavior. Now, come on, Julio Gronk, come out of retirement. Why don't you move down here too? And there are a lot of guys willing to do it because they know that the for them, the ends will at, at a certain stage in their career. Yeah, I'd like to hoist a Lombardi and get one of those big, ridiculous baubles on my hand. Um, but for, I would say the this, effort. But I just think there's certain franchises that shouldn't engage in that crap, and the Celtics are one. I would put I would put the Bucks in a slightly different category because I still say <laughs> that was ballsy. Like that at some point, this guy can't be a top five quarterback. At some point. Like it's getting, right. it's already insane. It's so far beyond insane. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's Mick Jagger, you know, doing stadium tours. Like what, this is not physically possible. And so the Bucks were like, we think this guy, we're betting on him physically being able to keep doing it. And that, as opposed to LeBron was like, well, we know we're going to win. There's no, there's no risk. We'll, oh, we'll take LeBron in Miami. I will say this. I think it's, I think it's Ginobili and Kawhi both miss free throws or, or or the Heat only would have won the one championship. The Spurs the Spurs uh, uh, had them licked and they missed two free throws um, and then a series of offensive rebounds. Ray Allen hits the three-pointer. But, like, it would be nice if the Heat only won the one. Well, speaking of – Okay, that's, uh, yeah, Ray Allen, speaking to him, I'm sure Boston fans and otherwise can point to like, hey, Dave, you, you failed to mention KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. True, but that was a different Boston Celtics era. There was a real air of de desperation there. You have Tom Brady winning titles, the Celtics finally getting over the hump and everything else. I think at that point, when you're the Celtics, it had been so long since that team was relevant. Now that kind of justified that. But now I feel like, the mystique of the Boston Celtics resonates enough in at, at this point, especially with the finals trip a couple of months ago. Don't go get gross if you go get. Well, Kevin the thing Durant that I that point. I always found that was so gross about the Heat uh, super team was like Wade had just done it himself. Like Wade, that you know the the, the, the it was two thousand six, I think. Like Wade, like so. 
you're LeBron is saddling up with a guy who did it without him. I, I you know, it is, it is Durant to the Warriors. You know, it's like, it, I, I just, it, it's weird that it, it comes down to um, you're picking teams in, in the, in the gym and even even LeBron and Durant want to be on the team that's completely stacked. It's like, would you know you're 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 an elite player? You should want to be the difference. Dwayne yeah, Wade, Wade, but then I'd say now this could be another half hour, and I I, I won't uh, I won't put any of us through that. Although I would like to hear, I'd like to be validated and have the Deshaun Watson judgment uh, handed down here before we wrap up. Bird and Magic were born into their situation. Well, Bird less so, but. Magic, you know, like well, Magic would never ring Chase like that. Well, Magic never had to. Magic w- was drafted by a team that had Kareem, and then the next season they got James Worthy. So um, hey, it's easy to lionize yeah. those guys for not ever ring Chase. Well, they never were no, ne- literally so, never in a spot so where they crazy. had to. I mean, Magic gets drafted by a team with a top three all-time player on it. Like, it's so crazy. Like, who's going to coach this team? Who gives a shit? There's no possibility of you guys losing. You have Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But, so, I don't know if you, I, I think I'd seen this, you know, but not for a very long time. There is a crazy clip of Kareem and Dr. J playing one-on-one. Yes, post- I, I, I right. brought this up, and people almost don't believe that it existed. It, it, it actually I just happened. Saw it was it on Twitter yesterday, and it is like you cannot believe because, of course, you never saw it in the context of of the of the offense. You cannot believe how Kareem is handling the ball and taking Dr. J off the dribble. And I think I think Kareem's forty-five. Uh, you know, but it's oh, like, that, it is, Oh, I didn't know. It is a crate. They've both been retired for several years and it is just a crazy clip reminding you of the fucking yoga or whatever, whatever Kareem was doing that this guy, uh, was such a sublime athlete. And, you know, as the smaller guy, Jay has to be able to go by him, has to be able to obviously take the ball away. If Kareem dribbles, can't do any of it. Can't do anything against Kareem. Well, that's that's why I always say when people do their lists of top 10, top 50, whatever NBA players, you really need to establish whether it's center or low post versus everybody else or however you want to define those two things. It's like trying to debate forwards versus defensemen in hockey or something. They're too different to to try and structure some sort of a, a debate with, with those guys. But, you know, it, to bring it full circle, you know, those – with the Ortiz conversation, those individual moments, there's one or four over the course of legendary careers that one play will define. I I just, as you were watching that, which is fascinating. And by the way, I think it was in the eighties and I think they were both still active. I think it was like 80, 81, 82. I just watched it. I think it's 92. It's 92. Okay. They're both retired, but you know what? Spaghetti's going to find it and we'll tweet it out. Okay, uh, but it, yeah, Kareem can just back him down whatever he wants. There's no, but there's he's no not like the highlights the they showed. He's not really doing that. Like he's kind of beating him off to dribble and making huh. these little finger rolls. Uh, anyway, it's delightful. I was and, watching. I, 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 my own brand of nerddom um, was watching. Um, Super Bowl Thirteen, the original broadcast with Kurt Gowdy, Merlin Olson, and John Brody, and it was. 
plum heaven. It's a, you know, it's the all time. I think still there have never been as many Hall of Famers on one field at one time as there is were. That, was uh, in the, is that Jackie Smith? Jackie Smith game, yeah. That that's your takeaway, Jackie Smith. This is all time. Thirty five, thirty one. I'm that's sorry. I'm sorry. It's the Jackie, Jackie Smith, Smith dropped the one that would have tied the game if Septian made the extra point, which wasn't a guarantee. Um, it did uh, once again for the millionth time occur to me. Roger Staubach on one hand, kind of like Tom Brady. If the Steelers weren't there, Roger Staubach is still in the conversation for the best of all time. Like uh, to, it, it, at this point, if the Steelers aren't there, he wins four in the 70s. They are the all-time team um, by the time the 21st century arrives. On the other hand, you know, there, there, you can do some math on those two Cowboys titles and take one away because, you know, one of them is the, you know, with the original Hail, wait, was that the, no, that, that, the, the, the original Hail Mary, they didn't win the Super Bowl, they lost to the Steelers, I'm pretty sure. But um, anyway, Danny White comes within a player three of winning not one, but two Super Bowls himself. And then what would that cover? Danny White's a footnote in history. Eddie Spaghetti's never even heard of Danny White. Danny White would be on par with Roger Staubach if you flip literally like two or four plays. It is remarkable how entire careers come down to that. And I know it's fluky, but I celebrate it. And that's why uh, I think it's cool to be, because to, Ortiz will mean something to you for the rest of your days, just like Aaron Boone will always mean something to Eddie Spaghetti for the rest of his days, no matter what the what, what else happens. I mean, I, you know, I, w- I remember I, I was rooting for the Raiders, but the Cowboys, uh, get the Broncos, they get Craig Morton in that Super Bowl uh, when, the you know, the Raiders and Steelers are still at the peak of their powers. Like those those two teams, like how did the Broncos emerge? Uh, because, this, because they called it, I mean, go back and look at it before the age, one of the plays that you can look at that alters Super Bowl era history significantly is exactly what you just referred to is first of all, it's weird in the seventies that the Raiders and Cowboys never played in the Super Bowl. It seems like uh, that that doesn't sit right. Sort of like that Rogers and Brady never played in the Super Bowl. At least we got that right in Lambeau a couple of uh, NFC title games ago. Um, But uh, who was it? Somebody fumbles the ball as he's going into the end zone for the Broncos I mean, it's plain as day. If you look at the replay, it's like, oh, he, he dropped the, who was that? Yeah, Jesus Christ, I'm upset. I can't think of it. Um, but anyway, he fumbles the ball. Otherwise, the Raiders would have gone to the Super Bowl, and that Raiders team was legit. The Cowboys were good, too. That's a way better Super Bowl. They maybe win that one. But yeah, you know, Danny White, um, if they, first, in 1970, so Staubach retires in 79, Danny White, his first move is to vanquish the superior Atlanta Falcons in Fulton County on two fourth quarter touchdown passes to Drew Pearson in a huge spot. Then they lose to the Eagles in Philly. But then the next season, they they could have, you know, if the catch doesn't happen or Drew Pearson doesn't get horse collared at miss midfield after the catch by Dwight Clark. Then the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. Who would you bet on then the Cowboys and Bengals in Super Bowl 16? Obviously the Cowboys win that. Danny White now has won Lombardi. The following year, he gets hurt in the title game against Washington. Gary Hogaboom throws the pick that hits some hand and Daryl Grant uh, intercepts it and runs it into the end zone. 
If that doesn't happen, Danny White goes back to back. I mean, it, these narrow differences in how we perceive guys is uh, is fascinating to me. And I know analytics people are like, see, too small a sample size to make a judgment. Not for Damashek. I'll make it up. Re- real quick, do you want to give a, a best bet here before we get out of here? Oh God, I don't. You know what? What is there? What What is there going on here in the doldrums? Um, I'm going to have to definitely get more into UFC just to make it through these doldrums. Oh, we're all the way there, Hedge. We're just about home now. I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I throw out I throw out some unders if you want to look at the you go know, ahead, the NFL, go ahead, the NFL uh, spaghetti. Uh, I'm going under on the Patriots. What's the number today? Oh, my. He's always so down on his own teams. I love it. You're going under, even though Belichick says, says Mac that. Jones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, also, Matt Patricia is the offensive. Co- he's going to be. I don't know if he's the offensive coordinator, but he's going to be the offensive play caller. What the right. hell? What the hell? So eight and a half is uh, eight and a half. That's what I figured. OK, so I'm going under on the Patriots and it's it's. Partly the the Patriots roster, but I just think that other teams in that division are, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking at your arrow up or down, um, if the Patriots are standing still, they're going to get passed by a couple teams. And, you know, I I do not think Tyreek Hill was purely a byproduct of Patrick Mahomes. I think that guy makes makes a big difference in how you have to prepare. Um and by the way, Dolphins swept the Patriots anyway. <laughs> so you sweep the Patriots, you add Tyreek Hill, and then, um, you know, I... And Jalen Waddle's legit. legit Gusecki's legit. And I think uh, I think the Jets uh, are heading in the right direction too. So under eight and a half uh, for the Patriots is my, my sad July best bet. The lack of coaching tree success for Belichick has informed nobody caring about Josh McDaniels being gone. It's got to make a difference. It's got to be <laughs> Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator who then went to Detroit and flamed out and now is tucked tail and come back with his hilarious pencil. Terrific stuff. Um, he's your offensive play caller for the sophomore Mac Jones. I, I'm down on them too. Um, Eddie Spaghetti, do you have a, a bet you'd like to throw out for the listener? Yeah, we're sticking with the unders theme here. Um, I don't buy into the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the more I just read about it, I still feel like they're trying to make us believe in Jalen Hurts, and he's not the guy. And their their total on most books right now is around nine and a half. Um, I could see them winning nine games or less than that. Uh, I still think the Cowboys are the better team, so I would not be shocked if the Cowboys sweep the Eagles. Uh, maybe the Giants and Washington get lucky and they they steal a game from them. So I don't think the division will be as easy to get wins there. And I just I just don't see him being the guy. I don't think there's enough talent there. A uh, bit of an older roster. I, I could see them win nine games or less. So I like the under there. It, I, you know, I talk all the time about QB saturation. It's fascinating. The game is easier. It's not, uh, just to make clear. I don't think that human beings are suddenly better at throwing the football or running with it or otherwise from under center or in the shotgun. The rules have made it easier, and that's the number one factor. But of course, high school and college offenses get guys ready more quickly when they get the pro football. All those things are are true. But look up what Jalen Hurts' numbers were in 2021. I get the cynicism around him, but if he had put that year up in 2011, people, you know, people would be singing songs about his greatness. It really is remarkable the the gargantuan leap statistically if nothing else that, you know, 
the 20th quarterback or the 25th quarterback, however you would subjectively rank those things right now, the guy who you would slot in there like, oh yeah, he's third tier guy. Like he's in the 20s somewhere among starting quarterbacks. How good that guy is statistically at minimum. I But I do hear what you're saying about Hurts. I think the bigger factor is I think Washington is a little slept on except for the Dan Snyder thing. Did you see the crowd gathered on Thursday at their practice? Everybody else has droves of fans, you know, sweating it out uh, with with every pass. That's a Baker Mayfield through an intercept. Oh my God, he, he forced one in there. He's intercepted. I don't think he's the guy. Washington has like three fans show up at their dumb uh, training camp. But as long as that's not a factor for them, I think Washington's going to be pretty good there. All right, fellas, listen, 90 minutes of fun. Great, uh, great conversation as always. Um, Kevin Hench, you, uh, you go about your date. We don't have many days left until we start gathering to watch football. By the way, speaking of that, Adam Carolla, visitor on Extra Points earlier in the week. Great episode, almost an hour with the ace man there. Really funny stuff there. Mike Sando with us on the earlier episode of Minus 3 this week. Marvelous conversation about QBs in the QB League. All the stuff on Extra Points. Make sure you're tracking it down and go to extrapoints.com for more information on all those great shows. We'll be back on the other side of the weekend much closer to the kickoff of football until then thanks so much sports fans it's been a thin slice of heaven